Welcome to 24 Karat Conversations with Phyllis and Rhonda, where two best friends decided to start a podcast on real women, real friendships, and real issues. Our mission Bible verse is Job 23.10. Yet he knows the way I have taken, and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. We want to encourage, inspire, and offer hope in a world where life can seem to be unrealistic. Be a support for you to cheer you on as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Most of all, you get to relax and laugh with us about all things women. Plus, we like all things sparkly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hello, 24 Karat Tribe. Welcome back. We're super excited to have you with us today. Hey, peeps. We have a very special guest um, who Phyllis is good friends with, and so I'm going to let her introduce her. <laughs> yeah, so I met Deb. Deb and I are both awesome people. We're also also coaches. Um, that is Advanced Writers and Speakers Association. And uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Deb through this new new project that we're working on that I'll let her talk about in a little bit. But um, I, I was just so impressed with. Um, I'm not even go through your whole bio. <laughs> But uh, just the fact that she has, um, oh my goodness. So you have, you're a grandmother of eight. You've been married for 45 plus years. She is a writer of several books. She's also a executive coach in the DISC behavior program and uh, just on and on and on. But what I love about Deb is um, you have got quite the sense of humor. (laughs) And I, I just love talking to her. Um, when we talked on the phone a few months back, we had the best conversations. And, um, and so I think you guys are going to enjoy some of the things that we're going to talk about today. And Deb, welcome Deb DeArmond to our show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Phyllis. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you. It's fun to be face to face. I know. I know. It's so great. It's like, um, a lot of writers, like we, we first meet on emails and uh, d- different platforms and stuff is funny. And sometimes we never see each other's face until maybe a year later. And then we're like, there you are. <laughs> but you feel like you know them. So um, as someone who's written multiple books and articles, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started as an author? Sure. It, I will tell you, it's nothing I ever aspired to. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, I was an avid reader. Um, I had one sibling who was 16 years my senior, and there was nobody in between us, and he was not amused when my mother found out she was expecting, because he said it was proof that his parents were still enjoying one another's company. So I was, you know, I was always looking for a way to connect with him, and he was a, he became a journalist, and he was a really talented writer. And when I was in about, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade, I wrote a story uh, for a, a project on a World War II war hero. And I got an A-plus on it, and I mailed it to him. And it was the very first time we ever had something in common, because not only did he read it, he mailed me a letter that said, oddly enough, when I was in college, I also wrote an, a paper on Ernie Pyle. And What's really scary is that we ended it with the exact same thing, the words on his epitaph. And that was kind of a cool thing for me. But truthfully, I really had no aspirations to write. I love to read. I enjoyed all of that. And when I went to college, 
I was a communications major, and that was mostly because I didn't have to take a math class in four years <laughs> because math is like my third language. I'm not sure what the second yeah. one is, but Same. it's, it's <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, and it, but it turned out to be exactly the right place, and I I ended up working in the um, leadership development arena. I had a job with Bank of America as a teller while in school. They promoted me to a training position. I found that fascinating. I love the learning process. I love to watch the light bulbs go on. And so then when that opportunity led to another one, I decided I'd probably better go back. And I did go back to university and, and received a, a certification in a um, leadership and development training. That became my career uh, until I was in my late 40s and I was very blessed. God took good care of me, Phyllis. He kept promoting me. And when I finally couldn't stand to work for that woman one more day, I quit. I quit without a job with my husband. Wow. Wow. It was really you scary. Deb, you were brave. Like you were a brave. Yeah. <laughs> brave or absolutely stupid because I had one kid getting ready to, to go to college. I had another one who was not far behind him. And the third one we were pretty sure was not going to be interested in college. And we were right. But, and my husband was self-employed. So benefits, pension, all of that. Wow. And after a while, I turned down several jobs and decided to go on my own and open my own practice. I began to do a lot of writing at that time, Phyllis, because I was I was creating a lot of instructional materials and I loved that part of it. But three people in my life began to say the same thing to me. First, my husband. He said, you know, we'll really make bank if you ever write a book. And I thought, crazy, that's not what I do. My brother said to me more than once, he and I were letter writers, Phyllis, not uh, emailers. And he said to me, you should be writing. I said, Jack, I have no idea what I'd be writing. He said, I don't either. But if you write like you speak, people would read you. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then my friend Eve, who was perseverant, if nothing else, she didn't even ask me if I was going to write a book or suggest I should. She would just start with, so how's the book coming? What's, when's, when are you going to get ready to share it with me about the book? And I said to her out of sheer exasperation one day, Eve, it's not what I do. And she said, well, maybe it's not. That, that doesn't mean it's not what you're supposed to be doing. And I dare you to ask God. And I did. Wow. And he said, go. I was shocked. But I immediately knew what I wanted to write about. As you said, Phyllis, I have three sons. I have seven grandsons. I've lived in the testosterone zone most of my life. <laughs> and one sweet little pink, unbelievably spoiled little granddaughter. But um, with all of those boys, I hit the I hit the jackpot with three incredible daughters in love. A blonde brunette and a redhead, they're all as different from one another as their hair color, and we're not all the same. I, I, there are a lot of things that we don't have in common, but... We love each other fiercely. And people would say to us, how did you do that? You could get lucky once. You might get lucky twice. Three times? I don't think so. And I started thinking about it and thought that's where I need to, that's the space I need to be in. And that's really how it started. A woman at a retreat approached me 
I was attending with my daughters a lot. She said, they don't like you at all. They love you. And I want to know what you did. <laughs> so when we sat together after, after supper one evening, she told me all about the failures of the terrible young woman who had married her son. Lazy, not smart, you name it. She said it. She said, and I'm not telling you anything that I haven't already told her. And I asked about that little girl's mother. And she said, well, there's another, you know, problem. She never had a mom. She was a drug addict in and out of jail, lived with, with family, foster homes. Nobody wanted her. I said, are you asking from my perspective? And she said, yeah, that's why I wanted to talk to you. And I said, here's a motherless child who doesn't know Jesus. And he put you in her path. Mm -hmm. You've done everything you could possibly do to turn her away. And she looked at me and she got up and walked out and I didn't see her the rest of the weekend. <laughs> you told her the oh. truth. <laughs> I told her the truth. I asked for permission. I mean, come on. Um, and so on the way home, the girls and I began to talk about it because they'd been in the room with her, in a cabin with her. And I said, do we do anything extraordinary? And they said, uh, yeah, we do. Our foundation is in Christ. Mm -hmm. And she said, and mom, all that stuff that you taught people about communicating and dealing with conflict all these years in business, you've been, you've been demonstrating that for us yeah. and we've learned it from you. So the girls actually helped me write that first book. Oh, so sweet. Wow. They did all of the, they did the focus groups with me. I, I thought it was fair to have the three of them. And there's one in there who is a writer, write the one from the daughters-in-law, what they want the mothers-in-law to know. Yes. And, and I thought it would be one and done, but Phyllis, God had more in mind. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the long way to Tipperary. Uh, nobody's more surprised than I am. Yeah. So, Deb, what is your new book project? And tell us a little bit about three. <laughs> too many irons in the fire, to be honest with you. Um, the one that Phyllis and I have been working on together with a group of 21 additional women to the two of us is called um, I May Be Done. We may be done, but we're not finished making the rest of your life the best of your life. And it's a, it's the tagline for a, it, it came from a tagline from my very first website, which was called My Purpose Now, which was written for women 55, 50, 55 plus, because that's the point in our lives, girls, where the roles that we've been filling change and shift mm -hmm. so dramatically. Some yeah. women have balanced jobs and careers along with the child rearing and often felt like they didn't do either of them with excellence because mm -hmm. they were pulled in different areas mm -hmm. some women have devoted themselves completely to being mom they look across the table when the nest is empty and say to the man on the other side what's your name i haven't called you anything except dad for years yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they've they were so invested in their children which is a wonderful thing that they stopped investing in their marriage yeah. and ultimately it was like two people who really i mean the big goals are gone let's face it they bought the house they raised the kids they're on their way they're through college whatever what's the shared goal what's the common goal and for a lot of women they believe the bad press that says well you know what do you got i, I actually had somebody who said to me one time that her son-in-law who is being insensitive at a moment of uh, disagreement with her daughter, his wife said, I don't know what you're making such a big deal about it. It's not the big, I mean, he said, you're, you're what, like 60, 65, what do you have left to do but die? 
Um, that's a really scary thought. Yeah. But I watched my sister-in-law struggle to relocate, start her life again after a marriage that needed to end. Um, and she was very qualified in her field. And you know what she was told again and again? We have great, you have great references, you have wonderful experience, but candidly, I'd have to pay you the same thing that I'd have to pay two kids right out of college. And they'd probably stick around a lot because you're already 63. Wow. To her face. Wow. To her face. And if she'd had the presence of mind, she could have sued him. Yeah. But she didn't. She said, thank you very much. And she left. Yeah. Deb, I think it's- that's such a great point because I've always had a career pretty much. Um, at first, it was because I needed to have a career. And then it became that I actually loved my career and I thought I wanted to be a stay at home mom and then realized I really don't. I mean, I love my kids, but I also always wanted to have something I was passionate about, you know? Um, but I've watched so many moms like not do anything. Like the, one of the reasons why I love Phyllis and so much is because when we met, she always had something she was doing. Like she was home with her kids, but she always had something that she was I had a side hustle. You did. You always had a side hustle. And I think that's so that's so not oh, yeah. what women do a lot of times. Like they depend on their children for everything. And then those kids yeah. leave and they don't even know who they are anymore. And no, nor do they know their husband. Like you're totally correct. So I I total in total agreement with you. Like I'm nearing my 50s. And I feel like now God is just starting to even open more doors for me. So oh, yeah. you know, well, I mean. We've, we've grown up, we've grown into our brains. Hopefully we've had lots of experiences just about the time when we're really at our, maybe our most capable because of life experience and all those things. People join the rocking chair brigade. What is that about? I don't get it. I just don't. My kids are always saying so to my husband when they call it, we both office at home. So what's mom up to today? And he goes, I don't know, but she's been in that office from about 630 and I'm not going in. <laughs> my my girl, my daughter that lives down south, she gets so mad because she goes, where are you? You're supposed to be there when I call. <laughs> You're so busy all the time. And I'm like, oh. yeah, I have a life. So right. <laughs> got to schedule you. Know, that, that can be a hard part of it, too. Your kids expect you to become the babysitters. I have a colleague who's a writer. She's also a licensed family and marriage counselor. And she had um, her seven or eight-year-old grandchild pretty much deposited. And she was informed that we need, we're going to be gone for about four weeks. Part of it vacation, part of it something else. And so you need to, I mean, she said it wasn't a discussion. It was an assumption. Oh my gosh. I know there's almost um, kind of, it's people go, oh, do you miss your grandchildren? And I'm like, I desperately miss my grandchildren. But yeah. it was kind of nice that I'm a little far away. <laughs> so I can just yeah. go down and be grandma. <laughs> but they yeah. do want us to come down there. But I've told her I'm not coming down to babysit. <laughs> I'll come down to be grandma. And if I decide to live down there. But yeah, that's going to yeah. be. a. We have to have rules. <laughs> yeah, I I hear you. I'm, I'm, I love to keep my grandkids just like you do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's that old saying that the most wonderful light on the planet is the headlights of your children and their children when they pull in the driveway only topped by the taillights as they all go home. Um, 
That's exhausting. That's, so That's why it's not for people our age to be dealing with toddlers. Yeah, we've already. Yeah, we already raised our kids. I always tell them, I'm like, it's your turn. I already did this. I just want to come play with them. And I then may, I may call. I may call you to back me up. <laughs> I may call you back me up because I'm pretty sure it's just me. <laughs> I don't even have grandkids yet, and I'm pretty sure you can call me back up because I ain't doing that again. <laughs> I already did it once. Oh my goodness. Well, I have a question about your DISC behavior and executive coach for um, the Institute of Heart-Centered Leadership. So am I right in that DISC, is that part of John Maxwell's program? Is that a John Maxwell um, program? I, I think he's adopted using it at times. Okay. Um, and this has been around a really, really long time, which tells you how long I've been in the profession. And I'm certified in a variety of different ones. Uh, DISC is one that had been very, very popular one time. I still have a few clients who really love it and we still work with it. But the one that I'm, I love to be working with these days is something called mental models. And it's how do, how do we get the ideas about life and relationships and all those things that um, shape how we live, shape what we have a chance to do. And it helps people understand where their thinking has sort of come from. Let me give you an example. I worked with an executive who was the second guy from the top at CVS Drugs. Very bright gentleman, um, very demanding of himself and demanding of others, which was hard. And when we went through his mental models, we revisit relationships with those people in our lives who helped craft who we become. Mm -hmm. Family, parents, uh, early influences, teachers, neighbors, friends. And this was a younger son of two. And his whole life, his father said, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be? You're always in trouble. Why can't you be more like your brother? And he said, no matter what I ever did, it wasn't good enough for him. Mm. And so I said to he, we were on the phone one time and he was telling me about this frustration he was having with an employee. And the employee had challenged him on something. And he's just going off. And I said, Sam, he, he's not your dad. Huh? I said, he's not your father. And just all of a sudden, he got it. People leave their marks on us, girls. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we're very aware what they are, and sometimes we're not. And how we pick them up and repeat them. Yeah. And once you catch a thief, the word says, he gets to go. Mm-hmm. And so helping people find that, what are the things that really help them thrive and, and be excited and be glad to be part of the universe? And what are the ones that just tear them up? Yeah. And those are the lies of the enemy who tell you you're not enough. You'll never be anything. You always screw up. Nobody likes you. I mean, people believe that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the bad news, demonic de- you know, press yeah. that's, that's really following them around. So I use, I combine that with my coaching. I probably do more life coaching and writing coaching these days by design than I do executive coaching. But I have a few favorite companies that will call me every once in a while and say, hey, we need you. And the value of having the same coach for a, like a group of executives is that they get a lot of the same tools to walk away with. Yeah. And they're able to use that in harmony together. I said earlier, and it's true in the coaching process, I love to watch the light bulbs come on for people. Yeah. And folks often say to me, so what do you say to them? And I said, it's not what I say, it's what I ask of them. Mm-hmm. 
the questions that they've never considered, the ones that maybe they've been afraid to consider in their life. But there's, I could get in an elevator probably with 80% of my clients and not know it because most of it is on the phone. Yeah. And that's by design. If people get emotional, sometimes it's more difficult to be visual at the same time. And I can really hone in on their voice and what they're saying when I'm not trying to manage, you know, to look at the camera so that you guys think I'm looking right in your eyes, uh, which we're not. Um, but it's the best part of it's the best part of my professional practice is that coaching and watching authors. I'm going to brag just a little if I can. I have a um, a woman who's been writing for a year. Her book is ready. She was supposed to go to a major conference. Phyllis, were you at Blue Ridge? No, I wanted to go. <laughs> well, she was supposed to go too, and she couldn't at the last minute due to a family issue. And so one of the publishers I knew very well, I said to her, do you want me to pitch your book? And she said, would you? I said, if they'll let me, I will. And I did, and they loved it. And so she's now got her foot in the door. Oh. They're, taking, they're taking her one sheet to a to a um, editorial meeting, and we'll see if we get the proposal and sample chapters request. But it's when I called her, she was just totally quiet. I thought we, I thought I lost her, and then all of a sudden I hear this, <gasps> and oh. she was so emotional. Mm. That moment, I love that moment for yeah. Yeah. best thing on the planet. Which is why working on that compilation book, Phyllis was both one of the craziest things I ever decided to do and had no idea the depth and the length of time it would take to work with some of these very new authors. Mm -hmm. Like watching them grow during that process, man, that's as good as it gets in my life. That's awesome. Oh, so excited. I can't wait for it. And um, and I was like so honored because Deb was telling us that there was 80, 80 people that sent in proposals for that like their little submissions and she took 22, 22. <laughs> so I was like oh I made the cut <laughs> and I knew that there's not a good substitution for great stories but I knew that if they had a great story but they needed help with the writing I could help support that learning but if somebody's supreme and pristine in their writing but can't tell a story I can't fix that yeah, that's what appealed to me, Phyllis, about your story. You wrote well, and it was a great story. Yeah. So out of the box. I didn't get anything else like that. Wow. And I loved it. And I read it. That's so great. story for me is everything. Yeah, anything I think, yeah, I feel like that's, that's my niche is like storytelling. I have a lot yeah. of stuff <laughs> to tell. So it's always, but it's good to be able to combine that with good writing too, of course. Yeah. yeah. So that's always something I'm working towards. And for anybody listening, Deb is great at all of that. So please look her up if you need help with coaching with that, because thanks she, for the plug. <laughs> well, cause you, you absolutely helped me with some little technical things that I was getting messed up in. And I am a writing, I'm certified by also too, but there's like, there's certain oh. things I'm good at and there's certain things I'm not good at. And so, um, I well, love, 
the camaraderie of all the writers and how they help each other. There's no competition there, which is what Rhonda and I are all about with this podcast is supporting women and not being in competition. So absolutely. And we're never done learning. I don't care what the topic is. The minute you're done learning, you, you start to decay. Yeah, yeah totally. totally. Well, even, Deb, I mean, even I'm just finishing up. Um, I'm writing a 24-day devotional. And I asked Phyllis to look at it before the editor looked at it, just so I could actually get an idea of it. And, and if I'm like being really transparent, like to ask your best friend to look at something that's yours that could go either to one or two ways, like really good or really bad, right? Because I was scared because I was like, Gosh, it's good, Ron. You know, it's really you know, good. I, it's, yeah. 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 I, I was a little nervous, but you know, everything that she gave me, she really made me think. And so when I was, you know, going through the editing process with my editor, I was able to like, look at it and be like, Oh yeah, I see where she's saying that, that, that needs to be switched a little bit, you know? And so yeah. I think that's something too, that, Women need to like constructive criticism is one of the things that like I've always tried to be better at because, you know, we aren't perfect and we need our sisters to stand by us to help us. No kidding. kidding. I look, I really, truly, I look at the women who came alongside me. I went to a conference. There were some really good speakers. It was local to the, the state. And I was immediately drawn to one woman to maybe seek her out as a coach. And every time I went to write her an email or pick up the phone, the Lord went, nope, nope, nope. And finally he said, not her. And she's wonderful. And I know her and we're good friends now, but she was not the right coach for me. But that, the woman who coached me was so generous with her time and what she knew. And she introduced me to Asa. The very first awesome meeting I ever conference I ever went to, Phyllis, they didn't even have proteges in. They had something called mentees. Oh. So I was a, and she was going to go. We were going to go together. And then she had to have an emergency surgery. And she said, but you're going to still go. I said, no, I'm not. She said, oh, yes, you are. Oh. And she put out the call. And in exactly the style you just talked about, Rhonda, mm-hmm. how much we need each other. She said, I need somebody to, to mentor, to be the mentor for my mentee, like five different people mm-hmm. raised their hand. And so she picked one that was kind of my mainstay, but all of these women immediately began to shepherd me and mentor me. And it was, it was humbling mm-hmm. and overwhelming, mm-hmm. but it was indicative to me of how different this group of women is there's not, it's not highly competitive. Mm -hmm. I I think all of us are really collaborative and it's part of what I've enjoyed. Some of my closest writing companions have come from ASA and will be, in fact, I'm working with Gilden and Goldfarb, Linda Gilden and Uh, Linda Goldfarb. That's like a Jewish law firm. Yeah, it does, right? because they have a great series of books called linked books and they're personality books. And yeah. that's the piece I'm also using a fair amount with my coaching. And I approached them and said, have you all ever thought about creating um, a program where you could certify linked mm-hmm. coaches mm-hmm. and they could go out and be the retreats and the things that they do, the speaking engagements. And they went, no, I said, well, there's only two of you. Yeah. If you really want this to spread. So two years ago, we started on this project. Wow. And I I'm on the waiting list. <laughs> I want to get you are. in that. Yeah. I know you are. 
and so, all of that. So, you know, uh, the reason I wasn't at Blue Ridge is because Linda Goldfarb asked me to facilitate the awesome mastermind. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> I knew that. Yes, she told me that. So you just don't know where you're going to find those partnerships. Yeah. yeah you just absolutely. have no clue where they're going to come from. Um, it's, it's, it's been both exhilarating and very humbling because I look at what the Lord has done and how he set things up in my life uh, to be in the right place at the right time. And just about when I think, well, that's probably my last book. No, there's another one in my ear. The one that, that's You're not done yet. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I don't think he's going to let me alone, Phyllis. My next uh, book I'm writing on my own is called Somebody's Got to Go First. And it's about healing. I'm sorry. It's about forgiveness and the healing that forgiveness brings. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's wow. Uh, we have one signature question, Rhonda. You want to ask her? Yeah, that? I will ask. What would you tell your 22-year-old self? <laughs> um, probably two things. Stand up straighter <laughs> and stop straightening your hair. <laughs> I grew up. Everybody wore it parted in the middle and just hanging slack. Mm -hmm. And mine was like tiny Tim's. Okay. And what I have done to my hair over the years with chemicals, with curling irons, with flat irons, I'm just saying every day, father, please don't let the rest of it fall out <laughs> because I've tortured it. My hair, my hairstylist always goes, okay, what have you been doing to it? It's like, I haven't done anything bad. I promise. And I haven't, um, but that's probably the message that I'd send. And the other one is this. You married the right guy. Oh, you married I the right those guy. Are, that's the best answers I've heard. Yeah. yeah. You go into these big, like long things. She's like, like do not straighten your hair. hair and stand up straighter. That's right. Yeah. That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on with us today. You were a joy to talk to you. Where can they find you on social media or website? Um, how can they connect with you? My website is Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-D-R-M-O-N-D -D -E -D um, com, And my, they'll find my website there. They can also connect with me um, on Facebook, both my personal page. I have as many author friends and writing friends on my personal page as I do as on my um, author page. And that's uh, Deborah D. Armand. Um, I don't know what the rest of that handle is, but it's under <laughs> Deborah D. Armand. Well, it's okay. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes so everybody can get your information. But thank you thank so you. much, 24 Carat Tribe, for joining us today. We are so happy to have you. This is, I think, going to be like 102 on our episodes that we've done so yeah like we just celebrated 100 and we're going for 100 more so don't forget to share like subscribe and follow us on our facebook page 24 karat conversations podcast and until next time have a great one Sparkle. bye peeps bye